WhatsApp. The world is talking. The world is talking. World Talk Radio. Never give up. Never give in. The ones who will work are the ones who will win. Create the impossible. Answer the call. Go for your everything. Give it your all. Give it your to be your personal growth success coach right here on the airwaves bringing you the authors the experts and the professionals to help you enjoy a more fulfilled life so get ready to pump that energy love learn laugh listen and live your dreams through these wonderful books and media that i'm about to bring you because we are a show about following your heart it's champagne for the spirit brought to you by be the star you are nonprofit corporation and produced by star style productions Today's show includes Paul Fizette with What is the Meaning of Life, David Morgan with Get the Skinny on Silver Investing, and Karen Flyer with Loss and Found. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. My friend and co-author, Jack Canfield, was one of the stars of the mega-hit movie, The Secret. And he said, do you realize that your life at this very moment is a result of everything that you've ever thought done, believed, or felt up until now, and you can start right now to consciously and deliberately attract whatever you desire in this lifetime. Well, following in those footsteps, Paul Fazette set out on a journey to find the meaning of his life and the power of synchronicity. Paul's book is What is the Meaning of Life? Welcome, Paul, to Be the Star You Are. Hi. Thank you, Cynthia. Well, you certainly had a most exciting and enjoyable journey. You left on an eight-month tour around Canada and then to the United States, living in your RV, and you came home by living to the answer to your question of what is the meaning of life. You started writing a blog, which turned into this book, What is the Meaning of Life?, after you had an accent that had disabled you, even though the doctor said you were perfectly healthy. Let's have you start telling us your story, and then we'll get into all your adventures and your eighth-month journey. Well, the story was I was in a very minor car accident, and then I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, so I was extremely tired. But uh, What is actually fibromyalgia? It, it affects your joints? Uh, it's some like chronic fatigue syndrome. You're very tired. You uh, do have pain in your extremities. And then so I guess it, it uh, stops you from sleeping well. And so then you're always tired. But doctors have a hard time distinguishing what it really is, right? Exactly. They pretty well ran every test imaginable and uh, figure out they couldn't see anything wrong with me. Right. And that's what had to be frustrating is because you really couldn't work. But at the same time, they were trying to say there was nothing wrong with you. But you finally got a little bit of disability, so you took off staying in the KOA campgrounds, right? Mostly, or wherever yeah. you could find them. Exactly. So I, it, what was your impetus, first of all? I mean, you had seen The Secret, you had, lo- you had read the book, you, had, you loved to read, you liked to watch movies, you had read um, uh, Eat, Pray, Love, and so you decided to go out on your own adventure and see if you could figure out the meaning of life. Well, I more or less set out 
to write a book about the meaning of life, but then it ended up being I was living the meaning of life. Right. <laughs> well, you know, actually you started by writing your blogs, which turned into the book. Right, exactly. It's kind of like just describing where I was, what I was seeing, and what because I was reading. Because you actually had a uh, an account at Facebook, too, where people could uh, could contact you. That's correct. Yes. So was, what was it like in the beginning? What I really noticed is you are just an absolutely phenomenal photographer. Why, thank you. <laughs> oh, I have enjoyed your photos so much. In fact, I want to tell people right away to go to www dot what is inc dot ca and there you can read his blog of course you can get the book but i also want you to look at his photos and they are just phenomenal it sounds like you really had a good time well and actually it shows it that you had a good time shooting everything from you know the beaches to just to shacks to people and just getting to know the world that way Exactly, and that's, I think, that's what it's all about, is experiencing life and seeing what it's like in distant places. Yes, yes. Well, your wife had died 17 years before um, the journey, I believe, and you have four children, and you were also looking for love. Exactly. Aren't we all? We all are, absolutely, absolutely. So tell us, tell us about some of your experiences and some of the people you met, because when you came home, what you said that you had found more than anything else was peace. And your motto is, think it, feel it, live it. And so life is to be lived to the fullest. Exactly. And all well, experiences, uh, there are so many. It's like, where do I start? And <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you're asked this question. I, I, there's, it's probably not possible to have a favorite because every every place that you went had something of interest. Well, one thing that jumped out at me that we could start with, and this is why I started with the campgrounds, is you checked into one campground that you called creepy because it's winter, and you checked in, you were the only camper there. When you checked out, you were still the only camper there after paying your eight dollars. That did sound a little creepy. It did because it was really dark. There was not no whatever street lights or anything. It was a little small town campground, and it was pitch black and like I said, no power. So I was running on battery power, and yeah, it was like I said, a very creepy <laughs> campground. So one thing that you didn't describe was how big was your your uh, RV because you were actually pulling a trailer, right? That's right. It's, uh, it's so right. how big? Because I, I got a kick out of the fact that you love to shop. I I wasn't born. I was one of those women not born with a shopping gene, but my husband was. Okay. And he loves shopping as you do. And what he loves, I think, most about it is that the women in the stores love him because he loves to shop. <laughs> do you find that as well? Uh, I get a lot of attention that way, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a good way to get some good female attention is is to go out and uh, and shop for clothes, right? Yeah. So how big? You said that you didn't have any room in your closets to buy any more clothes. How big was the place that you were living in? Because this is a long journey, eight months to stay in a small place. It's considered a twenty-six foot fifth wheel. So, so it is a fifth wheel. Does it have a pop out? No. No pop out. All right. So did you feel comfortable most of the time? Oh, definitely. Because except I was for when alone. you ran out of propane. Yeah, except when I was cold and I had no propane. Yes, right. I read everything, I'll tell you. You did, eh? So there were days. There were days. But otherwise, it, it, it actually did the job. Oh, most definitely. I figured the, the truck and the trailer were just amazing for this journey for me. Now, I was also wasn't sure if how you were getting your Internet connections. Were you going to the cafes or the hot spots, or did some of these campgrounds you stayed in actually have Internet? Uh, these days, pretty well, most campgrounds do have uh, Wi-Fi access. They do. And is that an extra charge you have to pay? No. Oh, well, some of them, yes. For some, some of, the, of them. They'll, they'll give you the access, but you have to sign into whatever national provider and then pay for one day or 48 hours or whatever you want. Uh-huh. So did that end up costing quite a bit as far as, as in your journey? Uh, no, that was a minimal cost. That was also very minimal. Well, one of the things now that we're talking about finances, you started off on your journey, and you know you had enough money in the bank, et cetera. But then, as you were getting towards the end of the of your journey, you realized you had to stop paying bills at home. There wasn't any money, and you were really saying, "Hey, okay, if I'm on my path 
the money should follow. And where, what's every, where is it going to come from? Tell us about that a little bit, because you did have a few synchronicities that happened of amounts of dollars that you had written down in your journal that would actually, that, that the amounts came to you. But was that a difficulty when you started maxing out your credit cards? Well, I'm still kind of like at that point because I've put all my faith in the book. And at some point in time, my photography will be up for sale. But uh, I am still living on credit. And, well, because I did end up quitting my job. So I was uh, provided with, like I say, a return of my pension. So I am still living on. Which helped keep you going for a little bit. Yes, and having faith that one day, if that runs out or (laughs) sooner... Right, right. Well, we uh, we have to get your your photographs sold and the book sold, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, are, is uh, now that you're talking with your photographs, are you going to be turning your photographs into stock photography, or what have you felt you were you would do with it? Yeah. No, I do have a offline program where I have to add up, include all, or start putting my pictures on, and then start selling them. But it's been first, like it's a process. I get the book out. And now it's kind of like started promoting it. And actually now I'm focusing on getting my taxes done. Yes, yes. I'm still running a business, so I have to get that done. You have to get all of those things done. Well, at the moment then right now, you have all these amazing pictures. Can anybody use your pictures at this time? Or are uh, they just up there as a gallery? It's mostly a gallery. If they could email me and I could send them their pictures if they really want them. Uh-huh. But... But you, uh, okay, well, what kind of camera were you using? It's a digital uh, SLR, the Nikon. So did this start, did your photography, your love of photography start with your journey? Oh, no, I've been doing photography since probably junior high. Oh, so, so this, is, this is nothing new. So it's definitely time to be start selling your art. Yes. Yes, exactly, exactly. Well, you spent an incredible Christmas in Orlando with your kids, and you remarked this was like one of you know one of the highlights of your life. It seemed like you were just having so much fun. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, it, it was uh, Christmas time. I figured, and I have uh, two of my four kids are in university, and so I flew them down, and my youngest also being in uh, junior high, so I. Flew three of them down. The fourth child was in naturally in South America, doing her own traveling. Right, right. But the three of them. And she doesn't like to be written about, right? She doesn't want us to talk about her. No. Yes, I know that feeling. I have a child like that too. (laughs) (laughs) Says, "Mom, come on, don't don't always be talking about us." (laughs) Yeah. So uh, no, the three other came down, and we spent whatever uh, two amazing weeks just. Whatever the various Universal sites. Studios and Epcot and Disney World. Yes, and just acting, having a crazy old time. And it just sounded like it was like you were all a bunch of kids. It is. Now, and when I'm you the- were gone on, you know, on this journey of discovery, as we'll say, living the meaning of life, and you had um, two, you know, teenage kids at home, who was watching after them? I'm my ex-wife. Oh, okay, so she was there then. Because at the end of your book, when you got home, you said that your, you had, the girls were in the house and they had sort of trashed your house. It wasn't what you had expected. Although at this point, because you didn't care as much as you would have before you left. Yeah, that was uh, because I was leaving. My oldest daughter was living in the house and going to university. And then I had, because I left, I had two uh, tenants, like other university uh, uh, students, right? My place, and they lived like university students. Yes, yes. <laughs> so my daughter is the, the fairly clean uh, type of person. She had a problem with the the two roommates who lived more like normal teenagers or university students. Well, we're talking with Paul Fizet. He is the author of What Is the Meaning of Life. And it was one man's journey living this eternal question. He is an amazing photographer as well as uh, wrote this very interesting book. And you can go to his website, whatisinc.ca. Your mom, Paul, was a, or is a devout Catholic, and you also had a lot of experience in the church. You actually had to actually run a parish for a while, and then you burned out. Did you find through your travels that your viewpoints then on religion as a whole have changed yet again? Well, I don't think it's 
changed but more or less grown in a direction that I believe the message from the church, but I think the, how would I put it, <laughs> diplomatically, the administration or the uh, way it's being run, it, it's kind of like gone away from the true message that's in the Bible. And it's more political, isn't it? Yes. But nevertheless, you had some pretty interesting experience, experiences when your mom lets you know that you should go check out the, the studio. I thought that was rather interesting. So was she happy? How was their family? Were they excited with your book? Uh, I went, well, each member of the family got a copy at Christmas time for what's called like their Christmas present. And I haven't heard too much feedback on it. Uh, I'm planning on going to uh, Winnipeg where my mom and dad live uh, next summer. And my mom definitely wants to discuss it with me, so even though she did read the blog... Uh, so now she'll get the now she'll get the whole story there, right? So, all right, I, we have to ask the question: What has happened with uh, Alyssa Milano? Oh, not much. <laughs> I heard she got engaged before Christmas, so you're still working on that, right? Still working on that one. Have to have faith. Well, you know, you talk about medium uh, Allison Dubois, who who it was the actual writer of the book uh, Medium, and is the character from. From the show, she was on our show as well. So I thought, hmm, well, maybe she'll she'll send you a little bit of uh, of luck here in that in that area. Well, I take live one day at a time. That's right. So the, happens, the journey happens. is continuing. Most definitely. And so this was just the beginning in writing the blog. So now that you're you're going to be putting together a workbook, and what about the movie that you want to make? Well, I seem to have found a director. My youngest daughter is in acting. So she's doing a what we call a storybook theater. It's a uh, theater company. So this is a good start. And so does she want to direct it? And uh, well, the no, the individual, the guy who directed the Three Musketeers, played on my daughter's in. Oh, I see. We've been uh, discussing about him maybe directing this movie. I am planning on making. Well, in in these days, this day and age, you know, it's time to make a movie. Well, let's give out the name of the website one more time. It's whatisinc.ca. The name of the book is What is the Meaning of Life? And the author is Paul Fazette. Well, thank you, Paul, so much for being on Be The Star You Are to share the blog turned into the book, The Adventure, and as Paul says, think it, feel it, live it. And this is to be continued, right? Most definitely. Well, congratulations and good luck to you, and get back in touch when you write your next one, and and happy trails to you. Thank you very much. You're listening to Cynthia Bryan on Star Style. Be the star you are. I'll be back in a minute talking silver with David Morgan. Are you ready to invest? Well, we'll find out. Stay with us. Listen, are you ready? The world is talking. Are you ready? World Talk Radio. Hi, my name is Crystal Goodfellow, and I am a volunteer with Be The Star You Are charity. I'm here today to ask you to consider making a contribution to this worthwhile organization that encourages and empowers families and youth at risk by providing literacy and positive programming please visit the website at www.bethestarur.org or call the offices at 877-944-STAR. Since 1999, Be The Star You Are has served more than 20,000 individuals and families and donated more than $850,000 in resources to improve lives. Be The Star You Are needs your support. You can donate your vehicle, buy our signature books, or make a contribution online. Everything counts, especially you. www.bethestarur.org or 877-944-STAR. Thanks for helping the kids. 
Are you living your dreams? Want to create a life you love but don't know how to begin? Lifestyle coach and personal growth expert Cynthia Bryan has jump-started the lives and careers of clients for over two decades with her signature star-style consultations with personalized sessions by phone or in person. You'll turn your passions into profits. Visit www.cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-STAR. That's cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-7827. Cynthia Bryan is your guide on the side. www.cynthiabryan.com. You can be the star you are. You're listening to World Talk Radio. You're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Be the Star You Are is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation to improve literacy and positive media. All contributions and donations are tax deductible. To comment on today's show, please call in toll-free at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Or send an email to info at bethestarur.org. Now back to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Be the star you are. The money I have is in direct proportion to the value I've given to others. The more I give of myself incredibly, the more economic power comes my way. was written by Todd Barnhart. And if investors had the power, they would only utilize investment strategies that could maximize their profits, minimize their risk, and would take very little time or effort. Economist David Morgan has spent decades, even a lifetime, studying silver, which he believes is the single best investment. He authored the 10 Rules of Silver Investing, and his newest book is Get the Skinny on Silver Investing. Welcome, David, to Be the Star You Are. Well, thank you so much. Well, you've been advocating the acquisition of silver for years, despite its lower value in comparison to gold. Uh, Tell us more about the money metals, gold and silver, even copper, and why you are so bullish on silver. Well, there's several factors. One is the monetary issue, which really doesn't get full play uh, in the Western Hemisphere, meaning North America. That includes, of course, the United States and Canada. But if you go back and study history, you'll find, and I'm going to make a quote here, quote, the major monetary metal in history is silver, not gold, end of quote. And that was none other than Milton Freeman, who's, as you know, a Nobel laureate in economics. The truth of the matter is that silver has served as money in more places for longer periods of time than gold has. Silver really is the monetary metal of history. The problem is that the greatest lesson of history is that people don't learn the lessons of history. (laughs) How true that is. And so we're doomed to make the same mistakes over and over again. Well, one of the things that you talk about in your book, Get the Skinny on Silver Investing, is the fact that there is, um, people keep talking about that silver, there's a deficit of silver. Describe what you mean by a deficit. Yes, an excellent question, because this comes up very often. A lot of people talk about the silver shortage, and a deficit is not a shortage. A deficit is simply that in any given one-year time frame, the amount of metal mined in that annual occurrence does not meet the demand for that same year. So, in other words, all the mining in one year doesn't meet the demand for the same year. However, supply and demand always have to match. So how does it match? Very simply, the amount of above-ground silver that's available meets that deficit. And that deficit has continued roughly from 1990 through about 2006 or 7. So there's roughly 17 years where this deficit in silver mining ate down the above-ground stockpile of silver from roughly 2 billion ounces in 1990 to roughly a half a million ounces, excuse me, 500 million ounces right now. In other words, 1.5 billion ounces of fine silver has been used from the above-ground stockpile over the last 16 years or so. Which means that the price of silver will be going up, correct? Well, if you believe in free market economics like I do, eventually supply and demand have to have an effect on price. 
And it has. I mean, if you look at what silver was in 1990 compared to where it is today, silver's price has certainly gone up. However, I don't think that the amount of movement in the price has gotten anywhere close to what its potential is going out, say, another five years. Well, and that, is, to me, is what it, a lot of what your book was about, is that silver is a long-term investment. So it's not, it's not a, you know, you're not advocating a get-rich-quick investment. It's something that you feel that everyone should have. You made a point that when the boat people were leaving uh, Vietnam, you know, they they didn't get out by signing the back of their stock. They got out because they had gold or silver to buy their way out. So what about mines and mining? Because that's that's different than just buying silver. If you if you buy into mines, you're actually in a mining stock as opposed to buying silver, which you're talking about actually buying the silver itself. Well, that's correct. Actually, I teach three things. One is it's money, metals, and mining, and that's the subtitle of the Morgan Report. Everyone has to start with the basics, and that's to own physical precious metals, gold and silver coins. Once that's fulfilled and you have a core position, then if you're willing to step up and gain leverage in the market, the best way to do that is through mining shares. That's, again, once you've established your physical position. And you start off with top-tier, cash-rich, unhedged, well-managed mining companies. And these are mining companies that have an income statement, they have a balance sheet, they have trusted management, and they report. And you can make a great deal more money on paper, silver and gold, at certain times than you can with the physical metal itself. Once that's accomplished, depending on your appetite for risk, you can go into the second-tier miners, and these are your classified as a whole as junior mining stocks. These stocks are where the Wild West still prevails. Sometimes you'll get a discovery, and all, every now and then, almost everybody somewhere has heard of Aunt Tilly or Uncle Joe or a friend's friend that bought this mining stock that was five cents the share, and it went up to $500. Those stocks do exist, but they are so extremely rare. And you really emphasize that as well in your book, is that the penny stocks, they, you know, like anything in life, they could go, but they're, they're also a lot more, they're easier to fall than the good stocks. Absolutely. I mean, the one big fallacy in the stock market, generally speaking, and it really applies to the mining shares, is that people love cheap stocks. But I, when I lecture around the world, I usually ask the question, you know, when you buy a house, do you buy the cheapest house you can buy or do you buy the best you can get? How about a car? Do you buy the cheapest car you can find or do you buy the best you can get? Then why on earth would you buy the cheapest stock you can find? Why don't you buy the best you can get? And what a great point that is, because, you know, this is why you're advocating buying silver and buying the metals. And I want to give out your website now, because that way that people can go there and see what you're doing at Stone Investment Group. It's www.silver-investor.com. We're talking with uh, David Morgan with his book, Get the Skinny on Silver Investing. Now, David, I really wasn't aware that silver is used for so many purposes outside of silverware and silver jewelry. I didn't realize it was used in, you know, batteries and, and, um, and uh, um, cameras and coin. Well, I know coins and electronics and water purification or solar energy. I had no idea that silver was used. You know, in doing windows so that you could block out some of the light. Is this going to cause more of a world demand for silver? Because you talk about how people were afraid that when photography, when digital cameras came in, that you know there was going to be less of a demand for silver. Correct. Well, I've made the statement, and I seldom quote myself, but I said that silver is as imperative to a high-tech society as water is to a man in the desert. I mean, you cannot run a high-tech society without silver. Everything that's electronic requires silver. Your cell phone, your laptop computer, your desk, your mainframe, whatever. All electrical energy requires silver at some point in the circuitry. So just from the electrical and electronic 
uh, aspect of modern life. You require silver. And then there are so many ap- other applications as well, catalysts, batteries, as you said, and on and on it goes. If you look back about 10 years, about 35% of the entire silver market was devoted to industrial usage. As of last year, the, the amount is now 54%. So industrial use of silver is growing faster than any other aspect of the silver market. So when you see the Chinese continue to build out, and I know we're in a deflationary, recessionary environment right now, but if things grab hold, they will continue to westernize their culture, and this means more and more silver will be used on a per capita basis. Well, we're going to get to that China factor, because that's another point in your book, but you state in Get the Skinny on Silver Investing that according to the Silver Institute, industrial fabrication uses 42% for the demand of silver, and photography uses over 20% with silver jewel, silverware and silver jewelry using nearly 30%, and then the remaining is used for coin and investment. That, to me, was just a, an unbelievable figure. I had no idea that that was, the, that was the, what it was all the usage. Now, let's talk about the China factor, because this is a burgeoning area here, and this is where you believe that China is going to build its infrastructure and have a necessity for more silver. Absolutely. If you look at uh, silver usage in the Western Hemisphere on a per capita basis, and for our listeners, I'm not trying to be smart here, it just means on a per-person basis, if you divided it all out evenly, uh, in the Western cultures you use approximately one-tenth of an ounce of silver per person. In China you use about one-one-hundredth that amount. So just think if China came up not to the level of the United States, but got within a factor of maybe 10% or so. In other words, if the China's factor went up just tenfold from what it is now, and you're talking 1.2 billion people, think of how much silver that, that means on a net basis. So I really do believe, plus silver is the most efficient metal out there. It uh, conducts electricity better than any other element. It reflects light better than any other element. And it conducts heat better than any other element. So all of the things that you want in a metal that's green, where you're going to put on, as you said, Cynthia, you've got the uh, reflectivity on your skyscrapers. Think all the skyscrapers that are going on in China. I've been there. I've been to Beijing. I mean, we joke about the crane being the national bird. All of those skyscrapers are going to be built as efficiently as they possibly can. That means silver on the windows. You also want to conduct your uh, electricity as efficiently as possible. That means silver in the electrical circuitry, and on it goes. So that demand, in fact, to, to just belabor the point a bit more, China just recently put out a press release saying that their internal silver mining will not, will not meet their needs. They're going to have to continue to import silver to meet the demand, and that is during a recessionary environment. And China is, from what I understand from your book, it's the fifth in the world in terms of silver production behind Mexico, Peru, Australia, and the United States. Now, silver is a byproduct of mining lead, zinc, copper, and gold. Tell us a little bit about the mining of silver. Yes, it's, it's a bit of a detriment to us silver bulls from the aspect that 70 or 75% of all silver that's brought to the Earth's surface results as a, a mining a different uh, element. For mining, as an example, about 25% of all the silver brought to the surface. Lead and zinc mining brings up about 33% of all the silver brought up to the surface. Gold mining even brings up about 13% of So primary silver mines that actually mine silver, and not silver alone, really silver is their number one uh, mineral, so, David, are, are you saying then that we don't actually go after silver and mine it? It comes up from mining these other ores? That's correct, and it's always been that way. Yeah, so, so that's so interesting that it's a byproduct anyway. Again, we're talking to David Morgan. He is uh, an economist. His book is Get the Skinny on Silver Investing. He has spent a lifetime studying silver. You can find out more at his website, www.silver-investor.com. He is part of the Stone Investment Group and is truly a master at knowing everything about silver lectures around the world pertaining to this uh, this metal. One of the things that you said in your book, and I couldn't agree with you more, is that knowledge is not power. Knowledge with action is power. So what do people have to do to take 
action and get the power. Wow, what a lead-in. Thank you. What you have to do is overcome your bias that everything's going to be okay. Now, I'm probably painted with the broad brush of being a gloom and doomer. I'm really not. I'm a very optimistic man. However, I'm also a realist. And the reality is that no fiat currency, any unbacked paper currency has ever survived the test of time. None. Zero. So knowing that fact, it behooves everyone listening to, to verify that and then take the action of going out and buying your first silver coin or gold coin. And I would say do it in baby steps. If you've never bought gold or silver before, it's much easier than buying a stock. It's much easier than buying a commodity, easier than buying a life insurance policy. In fact, it's like making a phone call. It's that simple. Well, well and making a small. phone call to who? Where do you, where do you find the people you trust because you were in your book get the skinny on silver investing you talk about that most of the dealers are very legitimate etc but how does somebody really know well you do you you don't but there are very few that are bad and again what you do is you start very small in other words let's say you wanted to put two thousand dollars into the gold and silver market well, you don't put $2,000 in. You go down to a dealer, you look them in the eye, or you, you call them on the phone and you send them a check for $100. And you find out how you're treated and make sure that you get your medal. Now you've established a relationship. Now you can go on it. Another way you can do it is to, you get to somebody that you trust like me. Oh, don't trust me because I sound good on the radio. Right. And, and this, is, this is very important is that you don't want people just to trust blindly. You want people to make sure that they're, they are really really doing their own due diligence. Precisely. I am a big, big believer in, in your own personal responsibility. I mean, what made this country great was personal responsibility and not, you know, name and shame and blaming others for everything that went wrong. Well, also then, there are, you also mentioned in your book, Get the Skinny on Silver Investing, that there are dealers that you can, if once you start developing a relationship, that will, you can buy actually a whole, like, stack of silver, a bullion, or, and they store it for you? Is, did I understand that right? Well, in some cases, yes. I mean, I'm a big advocate that whatever you buy, you should put in your personal possession. Now, there are large investors that come in all sizes. Well, like sometimes. you were talking about, Warren Buffett was one of the big investors. Right. So, obviously, I don't think he took personal possession of it, right? No, that's correct. Yeah. He did not. Yeah. I mean, because if he bought the sold. 10% that you advocate, I mean, my gosh, it would take up a lot of space. Right. No, it depends, and there are worthwhile facilities. I mean, I go more into this in you know my website, my paid paid subscriber base. But well, let's are... just go ahead and give that information out so people can come to your website. They can subscribe to your newsletters, and they can see you uh, in person if they would like to attend one of your seminars. And the website again is silver investor dot com. It's home of the Morgan Report, and the book is Get the Skinny on Silver Investing by David Morgan. And there, people can sign up for your newsletters and get all the other information and see videos and audio and get reports, etc. Exactly right. Well, David, thank you so much for giving us this information on silver. It is just fascinating to me, and I didn't know anything about it until I read all your information and went to your website. So I really appreciate it. Again, silver-investor.com. David Morgan is your guide there. Thank you, David, for being on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Well, thank you so much, Cynthia. It was a pleasure to be with you. It's been a pleasure, and I hope everyone gets informed and then gets invested. You're listening to Cynthia Bryan on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We'll be back in a minute with Karen Flyer's memoir, Lost and Found. Stay with me. Listen. The world is talking. World Talk Radio. Apathy, violence, and negative messages are everyday occurrences in our country. You can be a change maker when you dare to care by supporting Be the Star You Are Charity, a 501c3 that empowers women, families, and youth through improved literacy, positive media, and tools for living. Visit www.bethestarur.org to find out how you can make a difference in our world. 
everyone counts. That web address again is www.bethestarur.org. Bethestarur.org. Are you living your dreams? Want to create a life you love but don't know how to begin? Lifestyle coach and personal growth expert Cynthia Bryan has jump-started the lives and careers of clients for over two decades with her signature star-style consultations with personalized sessions by phone or in person. You'll turn your passions into profits. Visit www.cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-STAR. That's cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-7827. Cynthia Bryan is your guide on the side. www.cynthiabryan.com. CynthiaBryan.com. You can be the star you are. You're listening to World Talk Radio. You're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Be the Star You Are is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation to improve literacy and positive media. All contributions and donations are tax deductible. To comment on today's show, please call in toll-free at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Or send an email to info at bethestarur.org. Now, back to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Be the star you are. Well, thank you so much for staying with us right here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are, where the world comes to talk and listen. Karen Flyer always enjoyed reading memoirs, and one day she realized that her own life story was a memoir just waiting to be written. From childhood abuse, the suicide of her father and uncle, sexual promiscuity, eating disorders, alcohol addiction, for over 25 years, her life was a roller coaster ride on the eve of destruction. Her book, Lost and Found, is her story of finding herself. Welcome, Karen, to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Thank you, Cynthia, for having me on the show. Well, you're so welcome. Well, from the outside, Karen, your early childhood years probably looked pretty idyllic for people looking at you from the street, a family of four, a big, beautiful house on the hill in the, with the woods around them, your, dry, your dad driving a new Mercedes. But the reality was it was a nightmare of alcohol and later sexual abuse at the hands of your mother's boyfriend and, and abandonment. What prompted you to be so honest and vulnerable in writing this memoir? Well, I'll tell you. I think you alluded to it in your opening. Um, I read a lot of memoirs, and every time I read one, I think, God, my life is as interesting as theirs. I mean, they're talking about one issue, whether that be alcoholism or sexual abuse or uh, a loss of a parent or suicide, and I'm thinking, I went through all of that and more. And um, so I knew I had a story to tell, And on top of that, I've always loved writing. I've always found it therapeutic to me to journal, to keep a diary, to write. And to me, it's always, uh, it's about crafting the sentence, crafting the paragraph, crafting the page. It's like an artist would feel about creating a painting. Um, It's a way of, it's an art form for me. And so between having the story and an interest in writing, and coming up on my, you know, 40th birthday, not too far away at the time, I thought this was something I really wanted to do. I well, also- and as you said, it, it not only is it an art form, but it's something you're compelled to do. I mean, if Absolutely. you don't write, you almost feel like you can't breathe, right? Absolutely. So yes. writing is a way for you to to get out the emotions and your creativity that's inside. Now, at the, you know, you dedicate your book um, to your mom, who you're obviously probably close to now, but it seems that both your mom and dad were not the best of parents when you were young. Well, I have to come to my mother's defense in that times were different back then, and she was really doing the best she could. Well, she uh, was probably doing the best she could with the tools she had and not knowing where to turn because she had gotten herself into a bad marriage. She lost and then she ended up having to support you. Absolutely. She lost her husband, uh, her alcoholic husband, who she was in the process of divorcing to a suicide, and her brother committed suicide three months after that, and now she was suddenly forced to 
deal with, you know, raising her two children, ages six and four, by herself, and not having and a lot of And she was very young and still was hoping for love in her life. Abs- absolutely, absolutely. And then, you know, after my father took his own life, his mother, my grandmother on my father's side, you know, broke into our house practically at night, tried to basically take all of my father's things back, including my brother and me. And my mother then had to flee the house that she had basically made her home and moved to a new town as well, you know, come up with a new career. Basically, she put herself back in school. So she was really starting over um, and raising two children during that process. And, you know, I I do want to absolutely come to her defense and say, you know, in those days, People really didn't think twice about some of the things we think twice about today. And it is true. We weren't so afraid of, you know, this, this danger stranger idea and all of that. It, we, they were different times. Uh, you know, now, one twice. of the things that is really remarkable, I think, about your story is that despite what you were going through, you know, there you had a lot of, of tragedy in your family, and it sounds like there was some mental illness and depression, possibly bipolar disorder. Yes. You always maintained your grades. In fact, graduated valedictorian from, from your high school. You were at the top of your class, uh, summa cum laude at Duke University. So despite these things that you were going through, partaking in alcohol yourself and then throughout high school, you know, turning to sex and promiscuity just to feel loved, and cared for, you always were able to maintain your grades. In fact, you were you voted the brainiest, which at first you didn't really like that title, right. being the brainiest in teacher's pet, when I think that was eighth grade, right? Right, right. No, I wanted to be the cool kid. And then, of course, you know, of and course. I understand how that goes. You know, the brainiest. I always had this inner survival instinct in me, and no matter what life dealt me, for some reason, I always turned to that instinct within me to take care of myself. Part of it was watching my mother have to take care of me very suddenly when, and my brother, when her husband left her, and I never wanted to be in that position. So for me, my backup plan was always that I was going to be able to support myself no matter what, and that meant keeping my grades up. But that made my life both more difficult for me and that I had to have two personalities going at the same time. I had to be the Clark Kent and the Superman. I had to be the Yeah, and you talk about that. I mean, you really wanted to have fun. You wanted the fun Karen to come out, but you had to be the survival Karen most of the time. Absolutely, and it was it was tough, but that also made it harder for people to, to see that I needed help. It made it harder for people to realize and understand that I was hurting inside because on the outside, as you said, starting when I was young and all the way up through high school, I looked like a pretty well-adjusted, normal teenager. I well, like you I knew how to hit it, uh, to hide it well. And this is one of your main messages from your book that you really want to get out to the public is you want to help mothers and daughters or parents and children communicate and connect more and parents to know what's going on with their perfect, quote-unquote, children and to recognize the signs. And so you're hoping that by reading this memoir that you have penned that parents will get more involved in their kid's life and see the warning signs. And with that, I really wanted to talk about eating disorders, if that's all right, because that was one place that you found power. You had the power to control your weight, or at least you thought you did until it started controlling you. Well, you know, the funny thing about anorexia is it's about control, and it's about controlling something you love, which is eating. Most people think people with anorexia don't like to eat. That is No, they love to eat. From the truth. I used to drool over cookbooks. It's all about denying yourself something that you really like or else it doesn't really serve its purpose. It started out for me as a way of making myself more attractive to men so that I would be able to get a boyfriend and not be left. Every, all of my problems and all of my rebellious behaviors all stem to my abandonment. abandonment. Abandonment issues. And why did my father leave me? Why did my mother's boyfriend leave us? Why did my uncle leave us? What, you know, all of these things. And why did boyfriend after boyfriend tell you that you're not the one, that they didn't right. want to marry you? Exactly. That had to hurt terribly. It hurts terribly. And the only thing I could think of back when I was 15 years old is, yeah, I could stand to lose a little weight. So it started off really being a weight loss thing, but quickly 
turned into another addiction for me, an addiction to control, an addiction to the high that I would get from denying myself the food, the addiction to seeing immediate results on that scale as my weight ticked from 127 pounds down to 92 pounds in the course of three months. That really does get you a psychological high that you're able to make this happen simply because you want to. That's a very powerful thing. But what happened with, with, with me was I am a control freak, and I admit that it has negatives and positives. But what, what ultimately I realized after watching this wonderful movie called The Best Little Girl in the World was that I was no longer in control. The disease was controlling me, and all of a sudden, once I realized that, I didn't want to do it anymore. It wasn't a And see, you were one of the lucky ones, weren't you, that you saw the movie at the right time. You made a comment in your book that I thought was very, very important, is that people who are suffering from anorexia or bulimia or any kind of eating disorder, they really enjoy uh, talking to other people who have it, reading uh, books about it, seeing movies about it, because you get all kinds of tips on how to be better at it. Uh, Absolutely. There are websites out there underground websites, uh, you know, I don't even, I don't go to those websites anymore, but Thin is in, you know, why anorexia is actually a good diet plan. I mean, there are some really scary websites out there that anorexics use. To continue this this very, very terrible disease. And before we talk more about it, I want to give out your website so people can find out more about your book, about you, uh, see where you're appearing or speaking. And the website is www.lossandfoundmemoir.com. That's L-O-S-S, Loss and Found. And the title of the book really comes from the fact that that you had so much loss in your life, and then you really, at the end, you're found by this wonderful man who is, who became your husband and father of your children, who has nurtured you so much. Absolutely, but I also wanted to reiterate that I also found myself at the same time, and yes, I, I met my husband, at a, at a, and he, was, he is the most wonderful person in the world and definitely saved my life. However, part of it was that I had by myself gotten myself to the point where I was ready to accept someone like him. Very important point you're making is. is the finding is we have to discover ourselves because you really can't be found, can you, Karen, until you're right. ready you for that. You have to be ready. And one of the most important messages in my book is that we all have control over our, our own behaviors and our own decisions bring you to the edge of a cliff, but only you can decide whether you're going to jump off or turn around and walk away. And that happened to you several times. You at one point wanted to, or a couple times, wanted to commit suicide. One time you actually went in the kitchen, got a knife, and started cutting your wrists. When you were just a little girl, you took a whole bottle of Flintstone vitamins. Right, absolutely. And And then you had that aha moment of, I don't want to jump over the cliff. And that is an important point, is that we do have a responsibility to ourselves. Now, you actually, it was, took about six months, and then when your mother started talking to you, you actually asked for help with the anorexia and the bulimia, because you were also bulimic. Absolutely. Well, what happens when you're anorexic is if someone forces you to eat and you don't want to eat, you quickly find a way to get rid of those calories. So you go from being an anorexic to a bulimic. So the two go hand in hand. They absolutely go hand in hand. Absolutely. And some of the signs, I mean, you you indicated that you have uh, enamel um, problems, that the enamel was eaten off of your teeth from the stomach acids in when you were bulimic, that you still have different issues going on with equilibrium, that you will faint at certain times. So what you're also letting people know is that even though you participated in this for six months, it is an addiction, and it's, addiction. it's something that you're never really cured from. You're always in recovery. You're always in recovery. Anorexia has the highest mortality rate of any mental disorder out there. I think that's an important point. People die from this. Karen Carpenter, you know, there are... That was so sad, yes. ...die from this. And, yes, I was lucky, and I didn't die from it. However, as you said, I have long-term consequences from this that I don't think people should underestimate. I have bad knees um, from 
the the you know the definite the, the loss of the calcium and the so and you have an loss. osteoporosis an early onset osteoporosis exactly from this I have enamel that's worn off my teeth I've had to had bonded several times I have um, a, a vasovagal synscope where I faint at the drop of the hat because my blood pressure is un- unstable and low and one of the most important things is my digestive system is so messed up from constantly trying to throw the food up and out that I can't even digest food normally to this day. I have to constantly be on different medications and so forth. You know, so obviously it's not, you know, I've had friends joke to me, oh, God, I wish I could be anorexic just for a little while to lose this weight. And it's not, really, it's not a joking matter, is it, Karen? It's not a joking matter. It's it a really very is. serious matter. And for this, for just to find the information and to read about Karen's experience with this, and she has resources in here, the, the book is called Loss and Found, a Memoir by Karen Flyer. And I think it was, it's very important that you shared that. Let's talk for a minute about the sexual promiscuity throughout your teenage years and college years as well because this is something especially girls tend to get involved in when they have low self-esteem and low self-worth. Really, it's all about doing anything I possibly could to have my boyfriend not leave me. No matter how abusive he was, how mean he was, how neglectful he was, the only thing worse to me was to be alone. You had many bills that were abusive. Absolutely. I it um, seemed like you kept repeating that there was a lot of name Bill in there. I was glad I that you, you found a guy named Alan. The names are changed in the book, um, but that, there was one person not named Bill. I did change his name, but it did have the person did have the same name. So mm-hmm. I didn't keep that intact because I thought that was actually quite ironic. That yeah, it is. It is interesting. You know, it is interesting. Very, but this is something really else too. I mean, in ever since, of course, the Monica Lewinsky case, it has been thought that oral sex is not sex at all, and it, you know, the, the boys, it's pretty known now that from, that we have kids in even grammar school having parties and going into corners, you know, for fellatio. And I think what's part of your message is this is not the way to get love. This is not the way to get love because what ultimately happens 99% of the time is once the guy has what he wants and if you give it to him so freely, he leaves. I actually had a, there's a story in my book about this one guy who was several grades ahead of me in high school that I, the guy I thought was very handsome and I met him at a party. And he, you know, he had a nickname which suggested that, you know, girls, it was a challenge for a girl to be able to perform oral sex on this guy. And I, of course, was Well, you rose to that challenge. Rose to that challenge. I was determined to be the best at everything, and that included delivering oral sex. And what happened to me was here was a guy that had a reputation for this, didn't call me the next day or the next or the next. What I finally found out from a mutual friend is he actually said, she's not somebody that I want to, that I want to have a relationship with because she's too easy. Right. Well, and this seemed to happen to you over and over again, according to your memoir, is that you would be in a relationship or living with somebody and you would want to get married, and finally they would say to you, I do not want to marry you. Right. This and is and I, you I would say, it. you mean you don't want to get married or you don't want to marry me? And they would say, I don't want to marry you and this is somebody I spent three years with, who I actually, to this day, can still considers a nice guy. And now looking back, part of what's important about my book, which I think is makes it even more helpful to mothers and teens, is it's written in hindsight. There are a lot of insights in my book about things that I have come to realize today about my life back then that I couldn't see then. For instance, this gentleman who I dated for three years saying, I don't want to marry you. At the time, and I say this explicitly in my book, I was floored. I had no idea. This was coming out of nowhere. What do you mean you don't want to marry me? I haven't changed. You haven't changed. What's going on? But after thinking about it, and I've spent to several therapists and talking about it with, with friends, I now know why, and I put that in my book. So the fact that I'm able to interject 2020 hindsight at, you know, into my story makes it all the more of a way to It's really very helpful. It's very pertinent. Well, let's give out your website once again and how people can order the book. The name of the book is Lost and Found, a memoir. It's by Karen Flyer. You can see she's very knowledgeable about this, and she is writing from a 2020 vision now. When you look in hindsight, it's always 2020 in the rearview mirror. And you can go to her website, Lost and Found Memoir. Com, or do you want them to uh, to call uh, any place, or is that the best the, place to the go? The best place is that website. There is an email address they can email me, and again, it's L O S S 
some people think it's LOST, but that really, it really is about the losses that I had. Right, lost and found memoir. Well, Karen, thank you so much for being so honest and open in this book. I think that it is a a great help to mothers and daughters, and hopefully they will learn to communicate. And you might save some lives with this and hopefully increase people's self-esteem so they don't have to go down the same road of loss that you did and they'll find themselves earlier. I just want to say that my last name is F-L-Y-E-R, Flyer, um, and my book is available on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com, Borders.com, as well as through my website. Excellent. LostAndFoundMemoir.com, Karen Flyer, F-L-Y-E-R. Thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Well, thank, thank you, thank you, for you having to me all of you for joining me here every week on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. For more information about making a difference to the charity Be the Star You Are, visit BeTheStarYouAre.org. If you're interested in uh, information about coaching or speaking, you can call 925-377-STAR or visit CynthiaBryan.com. Until we celebrate together next week, take a look in the mirror and admire yourself. You are a wonder of creation. I'm Cynthia Bryan, encouraging you to be the star you are. Thanks for joining me. We'll be together next week. of show business has all I want to be Dancing in Broadway show on the silver screen Singing lovely songs of love is all I ever dreamed of This business of show business is no stroll in the park This business like no business can hold you in the dark If that voice keeps calling you to star style be the star you are for more information about be the star you are nonprofit corporation please visit be the star you are.org that's be the star you are.org join cynthia bryan and heather Brittany again next thursday at 6 p.m eastern time 3 p.m pacific time here on world talk radio studio a remember to be a leader you must be a reader enjoy a stellar week you're a seeker